Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1 through 13. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judea. They went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabites women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Mahlon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judea. Then Naomi and her two daughters-in-law said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. The word of the Lord. Are you comfortable? Don't lie, those chairs are not comfortable. <laughs> Let's be honest with each other at best. <laughs> those are 19th century chairs and we have 21st century bodies. So, just a thought. I want you to be comfortable because I want to tell you a story this morning. And like Mary said, this is the gospel story, but really what I'm telling you is the backstory. So, maybe to flesh it out. What I'm going to tell you is a story of redeeming love. Actually, not a story, but the story of redeeming love. And I'm going to tell you the story in three acts, a prologue, and a promise. Now, don't start getting worried. 
five points are not necessarily longer than three. It depends on who's telling them, okay? So, prologue. We just heard Joel read the first 13 verses of the story, but the setting of the story is very important. It was taking place in the days of the judges. That is, after Israel's patriarchs and after the exodus from Egypt, but before the era of kings. The Bible says in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Sort of a every man for himself. Well, in those times, a famine was decimating the land. So a man from Bethlehem, facing starvation, a man named Elimelech, decided that a change of address was called for. So he took his wife and his two sons and walked away from the promised land. Make of that what you will. He took his wife and sons and after several days of travel through what the map makes look like pretty desolate wilderness, they arrived in Moab, which was the land of Israel's enemies. Now, we don't know why Elimelech decided to make that move. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is the change of scenery didn't change their situation. While they were there, in the 10 years they lived in that country, Elimelech died. The two sons married Moabite women, but after some years, the sons died also. The family's plight had gone from bad to worse. Here endeth the prologue. Act one, loss. At center stage as the story's action begins is Naomi, Elimelech's widow. Beside her stand her widowed daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. These three women are absolutely desperate. Without men in their lives in that culture, with no husbands, no sons, no men nearby, they were without resources. They were exposed and powerless. Most of us cannot imagine that, but there are parts of the world where this is still true. They didn't have anything. They didn't have a voice. They didn't have a vote. They didn't have nothing. These women were among the most disadvantaged persons in the world they lived in. So the words we hear from Naomi are really not all that surprising. She says, Naomi. Always before, my name meant pleasant. But I'm changing it. From now on, call me Mara. It means bitter. Because the Almighty God has made my life very bitter. The hand of the Lord has turned against me. Now before we start judging Naomi, let's pause and consider her words. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize that all over the world, even as I'm talking and you're sitting there, millions, thousands, maybe millions of people are feeling the same way Naomi felt. Starving. Thirsting to death for clean water to drink exposed without a home to call their own, with absolutely no way to provide for themselves, with an uncertain future 
and, of course, all the people all over the world who are dealing with the current virus that's plaguing us. I don't know, maybe you yourself have felt the way Naomi is feeling. But let's listen to all that she said, because I think that's important. She was bitter, no doubt, and her words are angry and I think actually a little bit afraid. But in spite of herself, in spite of her desperation, Naomi, when she heard in Moab that the Lord God had begun providing food for his people, she decided to go back to Israel. And she says to her daughters-in-law, words that you heard Joel read, she says, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your husbands and to me. And then she says again, May the Lord bless you in homes where you will find rest with another husband. You see, even though she was desperate, she wasn't faithless. I don't hear her words as the cries of a person who's lost their faith. I hear her words as the voice of suffering. She still acknowledges that God is, and that God is powerful, and that he acts in the lives of people to make a difference. That's the story that Naomi is telling herself at this point. It's shaping her lives. She, she says, there is a God, but he's just not on my side. He's just not on my side. She has narrowed her vision, and she has assigned motives to God. And in doing that, she has laid on herself a story that is every bit as oppressive as everything else she was suffering. She didn't have any idea what her whole story would be. She got the characters right, but she got the plot totally wrong. She didn't know how God was going to act to bless her. So before she left Moab to return to Israel, Naomi once again tried to urge Orpah and Ruth, you know, go back home. Why come with me? I, I'm too old to have sons. I'm, I'm not going to be able to help you find husbands. And so at that urging, Orpah says, okay. She kisses Ruth goodbye. She goes back home. But Ruth stayed. And here's the important part. This is important because the plot thickens here, as they say. Ruth says to her mother-in-law, I hear you, but no, I'm going where you go. I'm staying where you stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates me from you. That's how strong Ruth's commitment was. Her loyalty to Naomi and her faith in Naomi's God. So Naomi returned from Moab with her Moabite daughter-in-law. And they arrive in Bethlehem just as the harvest was beginning. Act 2. Faith. At this point, we need to understand something about how God works. You may already know this, but I'll just remind you. The people who lived in Israel in those days, but who were not part of a Jewish tribe, and that included women whose husbands had died because the women had no personage 
They had nothing to call their own. Women and other persons who lived in Israel who weren't a part of a tribe could not own land. So they had to work on somebody else's land to get food for themselves. The law that God had given his people after their exodus from Egypt made sure that those outsiders were provided for. I think that's really important to understand about God. God cares about outsiders. He cares about the disenfranchised. Even when sometimes we don't care enough, God does. The way that law worked was it prohibited Israelite landowners from harvesting all the way to the edges of their land. They had to leave a margin of grain unharvested. And when their own employed harvesters passed through the land doing their work, the landowners were prohibited from picking up whatever had been left by those first harvesters. So there was always grain, always produce that would be left for those who could not till land because they couldn't own land. And widows were among those. Well, so Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem now, back in Israel. And Ruth hears about this provision. And so she says to Naomi, you know, how about me going out to the field and and gleaning something? And Naomi, of course, says, fine. And so Ruth sets off and goes out to find a field where she can gather enough food just to feed the two of them for a couple days, maybe. So... As it turned out, this is the way the Bible, this is literally what the Bible says. As it turned out, she ends up in the field of a man named Boaz, who just happened to be a relative of Naomi on her husband's side. Boaz was rich, and he was a big deal in the community. But more than anything, he was known as a righteous man. I love the little exchange we get to hear between Boaz and his employees when we first meet him. This tells me everything I want to know. Boaz is meeting his harvesters, people working for him, and he says to them, the Lord be with you, just a, just a conventional greeting. And they turn to him and say, the Lord bless you. See, here's a man who's honored by the people who work for him. That always tells They respected him, not just because he was rich and powerful and owned the land, but because he was a man of high moral character. He treated them right. And so they honored him. Well, when Boaz notices Ruth out in the field, the words in the Bible, this is so telling about the culture. He said, whose young woman is that? Who does she belong to? And he gets the information that this is the Moabite who had come back to town with Naomi. So, He offers her his protection. He says, you can glean in the field with my workers, with my women. And I've told my men not to lay a hand on you, not bother you. And he allows her to drink from the water that he had provided for his workers. So when Ruth hears about this, she kneels down in front of him and says, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? And he says to her, I've heard all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've been told all about you, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live among people that you didn't know. May the Lord richly bless you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to find refuge. It's so interesting 
that the words that Boaz uses to describe what Ruth had done, left her homeland, come to the land of the Israelites, worshiping God, trying to receive God's favor, are the very same words that God uses with Abram all the way back in the 12th chapter of Genesis when God is setting up a covenant with Abram to become the father of the Israelites. God says to Abram, here are his words, leave your country, leave your people and your father's household and go to a land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and all people on earth will be blessed as I bless you. All people on earth will be blessed through you. In Ruth's words of commitment, she had pledged loyalty to her mother-in-law, but faith to Naomi's God. Ruth didn't have to pledge faith in the God of Israel. She, just, she could have walked back and still been worshiping the gods of Moab. She wouldn't have been very popular, but she would have, should have, could have come. They wouldn't have killed her. It wasn't against the law. But she pledged allegiance, loyalty to Naomi, and faith in Naomi's God. And because of that, God made Ruth a part of his story. Because he's going to bless her, and he's going to make her a blessing. At the end of that first day of gleaning, Ruth goes home with a bushel. The Bible says a bushel of barley flour. She had gleaned it and milled the, milled the grain and had a bushel of flour. Well, needless to say, that was, you know, running over with blessing. And so when she goes home, Naomi says, well, you know, where'd you get that? And she tells Naomi that she had been gleaning in Boaz's field. And listen to Naomi's change of attitude. Super. I mean, she didn't actually say super, but she seems like super, like amazing. God has not stopped showing his kindness to the dead and the living. That man is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Eureka. Naomi knows what's happening, even though Ruth doesn't quite get the whole story yet. So we get to act three. Redemption. The story has moved from loss to faith, and now we get to the point where we're going to understand more about God's plan for Ruth, that it included something called redemption. Just a footnote here. Long before Ruth's time, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, you've heard those stories, God had promised them, I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great acts of judgment. So to redeem means to ransom, like somebody was kidnapped. It means to buy back with a currency befitting the terms of enslavement. So God redeems the Israelites by punishing the Egyptians and freeing the Israelites. Well, that concept of redemption continues in the law that God gave his people after that exodus. Whenever poverty forced an Israelite to mortgage his land or sometimes even sell himself into slavery, the land and the people who belonged on it had the right of redemption by one of their kinsmen. The land in Israel that originally belonged to Elimelech and had been inherited by his sons was now being held for ransom. Because Naomi and Ruth couldn't ransom it. So some kinsmen could ransom it. But Naomi and Ruth had the right to find a kinsman. When Naomi identified Boaz as one of their kinsman redeemers, she was saying, this is how God's going to bless her and Ruth through Boaz. So till the end of that harvest season, Ruth continued 
to glean in Boaz's field. And he continued to protect her and provide for her. But Naomi knew that sooner or later, her young daughter-in-law needed a home of her own and a husband. And so one day, Naomi says to Ruth, doll up, you know, get pretty, (laughs) you know, dress up, (laughs) put some perfume on. Literally, the Bible says, dress up and put perfume on because we're going to make a pitch to Boaz. So, as in all things, Ruth obeyed her mother-in-law, and she did. So, that day, at the end of harvest, after the evening meal and the celebration, you can imagine it was just, you know, a feast festival, Ruth goes to where Boaz is sleeping, and she lay down at his feet. In the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up. He's like, what? And in that culturally accepted way, Ruth makes him an offer. She says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman of our family. In other words, redeem the land my husband inherited, because that's your right by law. And with that land, I will be yours. Well, Boaz might have been surprised, but he knew her intentions were honorable, and his were too. So he says to her, the Lord bless you. Don't be afraid. My whole town knows that you are a woman of noble character. I will do for you all that you have asked. So we might live happily ever after at that point, except for a complication. Love stories always have a complication. Well, Boaz says right away, you're right, I am a kinsman redeemer, but I am not the most closely related kinsman redeemer. There's one other who is more closely related to you, and he has first right of redemption or refusal. So don't worry about it. You can leave before morning light. Don't worry, people won't see you here. I'll see what I can do. So in the morning, Ruth goes home, and Naomi counsels her, just wait, just wait. Boaz will get this matter settled before the end of the day. And indeed, he does. That very day, Boaz goes to the town center where men gather, and he approaches Naomi's nearest kinsman redeemer, and he gives him the option, the option to redeem. And at first, the nearest kinsman redeemer says, yeah, I'll I'll buy it. But then Boaz informs him that the buyback option includes the obligation to marry the Moabite widow. And the nearest kinsman redeemer says, the deal's off. So Boaz picks up the option. So, prologue, or promise rather. And the story ends then like all Aristotelian comedies. Love, marriage, and a baby carriage. Literally, like Aristotelian comedies. Aristotle knew what he was talking about. But this is no longer the story Naomi was telling at the beginning. Because at the beginning, remember, she was bitter. And now she's sweet. Her arms were empty at the beginning of the story, and now they're full. At the beginning of the book... She is mourning and grieving death, but here at the end of the story, she is celebrating life and life to come. I can just imagine this picture in my mind. Naomi is sitting there, full of God's sweet grace, 
smiling into the face of the grandson she never thought she would have. And behind her in a tableau are standing Ruth and Boaz, joyful because their hearts are healed. Naomi's name is Joy, and they are the marriage of faith and righteousness. When Ruth covenanted to become a true Israelite, she inherited the promise of God. And as she was faithful to her covenant, God worked through her to bring his promise to life. Because did you get the Bethlehem thing? Because the town that Ruth walked out of Moab and walked into was Bethlehem. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that the son God blessed to Ruth and Boaz was Obed, the fact and figure of God's promise. Because in his old age, Obed would become the grandfather of the shepherd boy David, the great king after God's own heart, who would found the royal dynasty one day crowned by Jesus himself, also born in Bethlehem, king of kings and lord of lords, who is our one true and only kinsman redeemer. And here's the gospel, because we all need a redeemer. We don't like to think of it that way, but we do, because you and I and all of us are enslaved. Apart from Christ, we are enslaved to sin and death. So, Thanks be to God, the Son of God paid his life to cancel the debt incurred by our sin. That's an old metaphor. It's a biblical metaphor. On the cross, Jesus ransomed us from death into life eternal. The Apostle Paul says it very clearly. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. In the story of Ruth, we can see that so clearly. We can trace the hand of God. But you know, in, in my life, and I, I suspect it's true of you too, I have definitely not been able to trace that. <laughs> Sometimes I've never been able to trace it. You know, we hear about virus variants. We hear about climate change and the scourge it is. We hear about a rocky roller coaster economy. We hear about violence in the streets and international turmoil. And we are tempted to tell ourselves some very scary stories. Even if you turn off the news, they're still in your mind. We groan to be released from suffering. And all of creation groans with us. But here's the moral of Ruth's story. Don't be afraid. Things are not just randomly falling apart. God has a story, and he's working that story. God's story, when we place our faith in Jesus, is that we are redeemed into his story. And living redeemed means finding joy in God's promise to bless us no matter our circumstances, and to make us a blessing to all the world. The story of Ruth is our story. Not a story just of surviving or just always left with the leavings. God's love isn't about just return or even just continuity. God's love is about fecundity. Fecundity means flourishing, 
feasting instead of famine. Instead of inevitable death, life eternal. That is the redemption of God in Christ Jesus. For you and me and all of us and all creation through us for today and tomorrow and forever. And in the end, there will be a new beginning. Thanks be to God.